Well, the viral video gods shine their light on thee. The fucking patriarchy is on full display in our social media feeds, in large part thanks to three recent videos. Insert Italian mwah with fingers to lips here. Oh, this is Ashley, the host of Taboo and Murder. Today, we have two examples of commercial takes on patriarchy and the video of MAGA teens protesting opposite Native Americans. It will be these videos that I'll use to discuss my views on the negative aspects of the patriarchy that affect women and men. Consider this commercial patriarchy or patriarchy part two. So, in these videos... I will dissect them kind of loosely, but I'm going to presume that you guys have all seen them. Um, The negative effects of patriarchy, I think, are equal for men and women just in very different ways. I'll say up front, I can't speak from the perspective of a person of color, so I'm sure my analysis is limited due to the white privilege I've benefited from my entire life. In recent days, corporations, because they're just like us, people too, have weighed in on the much overdue conversation pertaining to toxic masculinity, rape culture, patriarchal systems, and oppressive, that are oppressive by nature. First, we had Gillette put out a moving ad that I'll now summarize. So the short video, um, as they call it, a video short, opens with several men looking in the mirror with the voice over narration quote, bullying, the Me Too movement against sexual harassment, toxic masculinity. All of these were sound bites from recent news. And then the narrator asks, is this the best a man can get? The video then shows scenes. First, an old ad from Gillette asking, is this the best a man can get? It's their tagline. Then cut to scenes of bullying in many forms, including digital bullying. Then various scenes of sexual harassment in pop culture over the years. They're showing this with the narration of, we can't laugh it off. The narrator goes on to say, is this the best a man can get? Is it? We can't hide from it. It's been going on far too long. We can't laugh it off, making the same old excuses. The echoing of boys will be boys, boys will be boys, repeated multiple times over um, scenes of boys acting aggressively. The narrator continues, But something finally changed. The video shows scenes of recent news regarding the sexual assault and harassment associated with Me Too. And then the narrator says, there's no going back because we believe in the best in men. Cut to Terry Crews in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee Committee saying, men need to hold other men accountable. Then cut to a picnic setting and a man saying smile, sweetie, to a girl that had obvious fuck you eyes. Another man steps in and says, come on, in a like bro for real kind of way. The narrator goes on to say, to say the right thing, to act the right way over the scene of one man stopping another from sexually harassing a woman on the street. The intervening man saying, not cool, not cool, and holding the aggressing, aggressive man back gently. And I say aggressive because he was aggressing toward the woman, not that he was like screaming and being aggressive. 
Some already are, oh, this is the narration. Some already are in ways big and small as this narration goes over scenes of men intervening in bullying situations and de-escalating them. Then the viral I am strong father and daughter video um, cuts in and then we splice to a backyard barbecue setting where a couple of boys are wrestle fighting. Um, And another scene where a kid is being chased by a mob of bullies. The narration picks up with, it's not enough. That's not how we treat each other, okay? We see several pictures of boys, and then the narrator closes with, because the boys watching today will be the men of tomorrow. At the end of the commercial, the following statement pops up in text. Quote, It's only by challenging ourselves to do more that we can get closer to our best. It's only by changing ourselves to do more. We are taking action at thebestmencanbe.org. So in my opinion, I think that that video short produced by Gillette does a great job of showing toxic masculinity and the surface level consequences. It's a conversation starter at at the very least. Now, if you know nothing of Gillette, please look at their philanthropy before going, well, what the fuck business does Gillette have talking about this shit? Cool? Okay. Then we had that watch company, Edgar, I believe, um, a relatively small and not well-known, but they put out an ad that was clearly a response to Gillette. I think they actually say explicitly a response to the Gillette ad. And the watch ad could be seen as him too or some shit. Or I think if we really look at it, it too highlights the negative effects toxic masculinity has on men too. Go back to my first episode on toxic or on patriarchy to just um, see how the toxic masculinity does negatively impact men. Oh, I put it in my notes. Now, I'll assume that you listened to my episode on patriarchy that I uh, recorded pre-Gillette. So I may be a bit redundant in some areas. I'll try to keep duplicate information to a minimum. But now that there are million-dollar pieces everyone is discussing, I'd like to use the videos to further the understanding that women, men, and society at large are all negatively impacted by toxic masculinity. Or, if you don't like calling it that, how about the status quo? I don't think there's a right way to be a man. There are a lot of wrong ways, and God knows that the same applies to women. So I don't want to contrast these commercials. I'm sure there are many people writing up very thoughtful and way fucking smarter than anything I'm going to spew out, Um, but I want to compare the two ads as opposed to contrast because I don't see the messages in opposition. Instead, I see the two sides of the same fucked up coin that is living in a patriarchal society that condones and celebrates toxic masculinity. So the Gillette ad is saying, do better. And here are the reasons why. In the Eggard Watch ad, they take a different approach and give the viewer negative stats applicable to men. I will make a half-assed attempt to share that from my perspective, toxic masculinity and the motherfucking oppressive patriarchy hurt us all differently, to be sure, but no one's immune. Well, the exception being the ultra-rich half percent of the world, they occupy a different world than we do entirely. 
The Eggard Watch ad is saying there are good men in the world, and we're going to highlight the disparity that negatively impacts men as a counterpoint to the Gillette ad. Do better approach. I've summarized the watch ad, and I'll go over it quickly. Then I'll circle back to break down the stats that were presented. So, Eggard opening scene. Somber music playing while firefighters stand in front of an inferno. The narration starts with, what is a man? Is a man brave? Then on the screen, the stat comes up that says men account for 93% of workplace fatalities. The narration continues, is a man a hero? The statistic then comes up, 97% of war fatalities are men. The narration goes on, is a man a protector? And then the stat comes up that says 79% of homicide victims are male. The narration continues. And this is all while showing different men in different um, positions of their life, different backgrounds. Is a male vulnerable? The statistic that then comes up, nearly half of fathers with no visitation rights still financially support their children. The narration continues. Is a man disposable? The statistic then pops up. Men account for 80% of suicide victims. The narration continues. Is a man broken? Is a man trying? We see the good in men. All right, some motherfucking stats. I love it because I can work with actual numbers. Men account for 93% of workplace fatalities. The leading causes of private sector worker deaths, excluding highway collisions, in the construction industry were falls, followed by struck by object, electrocution, and caught in between, so being crushed. These fatal four were responsible for more than half, 63.7% of construction worker deaths in 2016, the BLS reports. The eight most deadly uh, careers, logging workers, no doubt about the chainsaws having something to do with that. Fishers and fishing workers. Yeah, watch um, Deadliest Catch. Fuck, that Bering Sea. Ooh, no way. Aircraft pilots and flight engineers. Roofers. Refuse and recyclable material collectors. Structural iron and steel workers. Truck drivers. Farmers, ranchers, and agricultural managers. These are all jobs that are done by men historically. The entrance for women into these industries has been difficult for many reasons, one of which is sexism, to be sure. Therefore, it's no surprise that when the most dangerous jobs um, would also have the most fatalities associated with them. So the toxic masculinity is keeping women from these jobs due to sexism in part and also negatively impacting men as they hold the most dangerous jobs. Women are becoming more educated than men at an astounding rate. Don't believe me? Look it up. With this boom in educated women entering the workforce, fewer jobs traditionally held by men are being occupied by women, and men seek out careers that don't require the same educational responsibilities. These are contributing factors, of course, not a soup-to-nuts explanation. Now, 97% of war fatalities are men. First, I have to assume 
they mean enlisted people because there have been millions of women killed in war. So, moving along with the presumption we're only discussing American military members, let's get some context, okay? On January 24th, 2013, almost six years ago, Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta removed the military's ban on women serving in combat. So for six years, women have had the privilege of being in combat. Can anyone see how these stats could be skewed due to this pivot in policy? Implementation of these rules is ongoing. There is some speculation that this could lead to women having to register with the select service system. To date, the patriarchal military systems haven't required women to be eligible for the draft, should one be needed. Blame the patriarchy, men. On November 21st, 2013, the first three women to ever complete the United States Marine Corps Infantry Training Battalion course graduated from the United States Marine Corps School of Infantry in Camp Grainier, am I saying that right, Grazier, North Carolina. However, these three female graduates will still not be allowed to serve in infantry units until further studies can demonstrate they are physically capable of doing so. It was later reported on January 3rd, 2017, that three women who graduated became the first to join a Marine combat, ba combat battalion that would serve as a rifleman, machine gunner, and mortar Marine in the 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. So two years ago, three women were allowed into infantry positions in the Marines. They should and this should and should not um, business is a different conversation for a different day. The fact is women weren't allowed in those positions um, that men held. And of course, they the men had a higher um, and disproportionate amount of danger that they were exposed to. The facts support this, you know, finding. Army Ranger battalions and Navy SEAL units plan to open positions to women by 2015 and 2016, respectively. In August 2015, Captain Kristen Grace, the first lieutenant and first lieutenant, um, Shay Haver, became the first two women to graduate from the U.S. Army Ranger School. Though, at the time, women were not eligible to enlist in the 75th Ranger Regiment. Cool. They're willing and able, but the rules say no girls allowed. In 2016, Gris became the first female infantry officer in the U.S. Army when the Army approved her request to transfer there from a military police unit. In December 2015, um, Defense Secretary Ash Carter stated that starting in 2016, all combat jobs would open to women. The decision was not supported by Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Joseph Dunford of the Marine Corps, who wanted to keep certain direct combat posi positions, such as infantry and machine gunner, closed to women. Only those with the penis can use phallic-looking weapons, right? We women, women would get all distracted thinking about those giant cocks we'd be interested in playing with. One significant female contribution was recognized on June 16, 2005, when Sergeant Ann Hester was awarded the Silver Star for her actions during a firefight that took place outside Baghdad. This was the first Silver Star in U.S. military history awarded to a woman soldier. In March 2016, Ash Carter approved final plans from military service branches and the U.S. Special Operations Command to open all combat jobs to women and authorize the military to begin integrating female combat soldiers right away. 
On October 26, 2016, 10 women became the first female graduates from the United States Army's Infantry Basic Officer Leaders Course at Fort Benning, Georgia. In December 2016, an anonymous woman passed the RASP II section course of the 75th Ranger Regiment. She was the first woman to graduate from a Special Operations Unit Selection course. On September 25th of 2017, an anonymous woman later revealed to be First Lieutenant Marina Hurl became the first to complete the United States Marine Corps Infantry Officer course at Marine Corps Base Quantico in Quantico, Virginia, and become the first female Marine Infantry Officer. So is that stat really that fucking surprising after putting it in the context? of the inability for women to serve in the same capacity as men. Again, the fucking patriarchy. It affects us all, okay? 79% of homicide victims are male. This one, I can really get in the weeds if I'm not careful. Where to start? Male-on-male violence? Domestic violence? Sally, there are so many subgroups of violence and murder that it is um, kind of a stat that's really tricky to unwrap. But I'll do my best. From 2003 to 2012, trends showed the vast majority of crimes were still committed by men with around 88% of homicides and 75% of all legal felonies. Illegal felonies, I think that is supposed to say. According to government statistics from the U.S. Department of Justice, male perpetrators constituted 96% of federal prosecution on domestic violence. The need to be tough, to not back down in a fight, to be a man, etc., this is toxic masculinity at its core, leading men to act violently at much higher rates than women. Nearly half of fathers with no visitation rights still financially support their children. Now, each state is different when it comes to paternal rights and child support. In general, Historically, the courts have defaulted to women when it comes to custody and financial arrangements, as women have always been seen as child care providers. This is a byproduct of the patriarchal system that we all live in. For decades, a woman tended to be a woman tended to the children while the man worked for money outside of the home. In the event of a separation, the woman is left without the skill required to make a living and children to care for. The involvement of dads has increased at a rate that the courts have not recognized. The fucking patriarchy that is the court system in this instance is keeping dads from their kids. Now, men account for 80% of suicide victims. I've touched on this. Uh, Anyway... I would like to say, see my episode on mental illness for understanding of the taboo and stigmas that keep men from seeking treatment for mental health issues, but I will reiterate here the main points. Gender differences in suicide rates have been shown to be significant. There are different rates of completed suicides and suicidal behavior between males and females. While women more often have suicidal thoughts, men die by suicide more frequently. This is also known as the gender paradox in suicide. Again, women are far more likely to seek help when battling a mental illness. The toxic masculinity keeps men suffering in silence. Kind of like how women suffer in silence through miscarriage and baby loss. It's the same shame and stigma that keeps us quiet to our detriment. Fuck the taboo. That's why I'm here. As of recent World Health Organization releases, WHO, of course, um, 
the challenge uh, represented, uh, wait, oh, challenges represented by social stigma, the taboo to openly discuss suicide, and low availability of data are still two um, date obstacles leading to poor data quality for both suicide and suicide attempts. Quote, given the sensitivity of suicide and the illegality of suicidal behavior in some countries, it is likely that underreporting and misclassification are greater problems for suicide than for um, other causes of death. Some other factors. Many researchers have attempted to find explanations for why gender is such a significant indicator for suicide. A common explanation relies on the social constructions of hegemonic masculinity and femininity. According to literature on gender and suicide, male suicide rates are explained in terms of traditional gender roles. Male gender roles tend to emphasize greater levels of strength, independence, risk-taking behavior, economic status, and individualism. Reinforcement of this gender role often prevents males from seeking help for suicidal feelings and depression. It should be noted that several alternative and actually numerous other factors have been put forward as the cause of the gender paradox. Part of the gap may be explained by heightened levels of stress that result from traditional gender roles. For example, the death of a spouse and divorce are risk factors for suicide in both genders, but the effect is somewhat mitigated for females. In the Western world, females are more likely to maintain social and familial connections that they can turn to for support after losing their spouse. Another factor closely tied to gender roles is employment status. Males' vulnerability may be heightened during times of unemployment because of societal expectations that males should provide for themselves and their families. This is also a reason that men are often family annihilators. That's an episode for another day. What I see in viewing the Eggard watch ad is more of the same in the Gillette ad. The perspectives are just different. Do better versus victimhood. And white dudes, I'm sorry, but you're the least sympathetic victims in the world. I know it feels like the world you know is morphing in front of your eyes. It is. The solid foundation built over hundreds of thousands of years of patriarchal rule is now crumbling under your feet. That feeling that you're losing your power, well, that must be difficult. But buckle up, buttercup. The ride is only going to get faster. I will now acknowledge I am a white female. I'm like right behind white dudes in the patriarchal pecking order. People of color are listening to me like, fuck off with your white privilege making a podcast. Touche. So in the watch ad, they take a different approach and give the viewer negative stats applicable to men as a counterpoint to the toxic masculinity argument put forth by Gillette. Toxic masculinity and the motherfucking oppressive patriarchy hurt us all, differently to be sure, but no one is immune. Like I said, except the really, really rich people. Now, because this just makes me want to rage, I'm going to keep this brief. And yes, this is off the cuff. The MAGA hat-wearing white boys standing smugly and defiantly in front of a chanting Native American were being racist. If you don't see the undercurrent of racism, please go back and listen to my episode on genocide. There's literally no greater oppressed segment of our population than Native American people. People saying race wasn't a factor. You're not going to trick us into accepting racism or overt or subversive. 
You can display your racist ass for the world to see. Don't fucking bitch when the world then turns against you. Doxing these kids, I don't agree with that. They're kids. But you're going to go out there, you're going to put your fucking face out there as the MAGA, um, you know, racist, whatever you are putting yourself out there as, I can only, you know, make my assumptions, then people are going to see you and they're going to form opinions. And you don't get to then be mad that people formed opinions that you don't like, okay? So you can display your racist ass for the world to see, but don't bitch about it when the world decides you're fucking racist, okay? Okay, now speaking to the parents of these boys, shame on you. Shame, shame, shame. I'm thinking of Circe doing her walk of shame. These behaviors are learned behaviors. My ass would have been grass, as my mother would say, if I was ever disrespectful like that. Parents, your MAGA, build the wall, lock her up views are infecting your kids. Fucking do something about it. You're raising a new breed of incel entitled white boys. It takes a lot of work to unlearn the things we learn to be sorry about. It's easier to just not have to unlearn them, okay? Teach your children of the plight of Native Americans. Teach your children about white privilege. White guilt? Don't come at me with that shit. It's not a thing. One mustn't feel guilty for being white. But that doesn't absolve one from recognizing the systems that keep white people amassing power, wealth, and status. They are the same systems oppressing everyone with more melanin in their skin. Don't apologize for being white. Just understand that the hurdles you've experienced in life haven't been exasperated or caused by your skin color. No one feels like they've had it easy. The human condition is fucking hard. There's no doubt that a white man born in the middle class will amass more wealth and power than a man living next door with brown skin. Look up the studies. I'd suggest looking at homeownership disparities between races. It was only in the 70s that we in real estate couldn't refuse service to African-American families. Think about that. When my parents were teens, black people couldn't buy homes. They were redlined into ghettos. So my parents were able to buy a home, fix it up, sell it, and build a home. My parents were low middle class earners. We lived paycheck to paycheck. Don't get me wrong. If my parents had been black, their interest rate would have been higher due to redlining and thus said theoretical black parents couldn't afford the mortgage, which of course isn't even factoring in the wage gap. Okay, okay. There's literally one exception to this rule and the backlash from such progression. Trump. Thanks, Obama. So if your gut reaction is to say something about your white life being hard, stop and ask yourself, would this be harder if I were black or brown? I assume you all have watched the videos I'm speaking of in this episode. And while I've brushed up on fair use law, I'm confident I could link to the videos. That said, I don't know if the pod gods would disapprove. But if you haven't seen the videos, they're pretty easy to find in a simple Google search. Thank you for listening to Taboo and Murder, which turned into kind of a slanted rant because I'm angry. I would greatly appreciate if you would rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast so I can continue to bring new content. Also, if you like any of the subject matter, please consider sharing with a friend. 
Reach me on Twitter at SMTaboo with constructive criticism, episode ideas, or stories you'd like me to share. Thanks for listening.